keep peace. Hello everyone and welcome to what is already the third edition of the Wag the Dog podcast. My name is Philip Bormans, I'm your host like every week and this week we'll be talking about social collaboration. And to do so I've invited Ron Shah. Ron is an independent analyst, he uh, speaks at different conferences on a regular basis and is also a consultant. Now Ron focuses on collaboration, corporate culture, leadership, management techniques, internal communications. So I thought Ron was a good guy to invite and have a chat with about collaboration, social media inside the enterprise and the price 2.0, uh, culture, change management, those kind of topics. That's what you'll hear in this edition. Next to his work as an independent analyst and speaker, uh, Ron is also a writer. He wrote a book in 2010 about the social enterprise and is a regular contributor and uh, check out his articles on Forbes.com. So, I will not uh, have you wait any longer. Here we go. Okay, Ron, welcome on this episode of uh, Wag the Dog, podcast about PR and uh, communications, internal stuff, anything in between. So, welcome on uh, on the show. Well, thank you, Philippe. So, uh, we've known each other for some time, um, and we discussed, when we meet, at least, at conferences and things like that, we mainly discuss uh, internal comms, social collaboration, and that's what we'll do in uh, in this one as well. So, uh, from from your background, and I want to kick off uh, with with your first uh, ideas about this. Where are we? Do you think on social collaboration? Because we've been talking about this, we've been in some cases doing this for the last what five, six years. So, what is your idea on where we stand now in the corporate world? Well. Um so I probably started around 2016. This will be a nine years for me. And I thought by at least 2010, we would have uh, much wider use. Uh, the organization I came from where we were you know, using it quite big, and this was uh, IBM, you know, this was a large company. We had lots of uh, tech toys and everything else. In an, and it was commonplace to communicate this way. But you know, as soon as I started talking to the customers, some of the other places, you know, after I left uh, as well, you know, the conversations were still, what is this? You know, so they're still trying to understand what it is. They're still trying to cope with the change itself. Yeah. And is, is, is that, that that's an impression, at least that I share. I mean, when we, again, meet at conferences and, and, and go and speak at conferences, I have this idea that we see the usual suspects kind of thing. I mean, it's 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 always the same organizations which come with with some case studies with, and some of them have been like what a year and a half, two years old, and they we start talking about them again and over again. Um, is is why is that? Is our companies conservative by definition, or? <laughs> Well, I think the ones who tend to embrace them are the ones who need communication the most, meaning that they're either spread out or they have a lot of people. And change in any of those situations takes time. Um, I don't mind that this, we, I run into the same people um, you know, every few years because you want to see where, how long, how much further have they come around. Um, and hopefully, and you know, what I look for in their talks and the conversations with them as well, their presentations, has it changed from what you spoke about, you know, two years ago, has it gotten better? How can you tell if it's gotten better? Huh? Yeah. So, so, and, and then we, we come on metrics and things like that. Have you seen changes in that, that uh, companies are getting more professional and, and I would assume that these kind of projects, and we're talking about social collaboration projects and change management projects, 
um, mainly are run by what HR departments, internal communications people. Uh, do you think that we've learned? So our colleagues in internal comms, for instance, have learned to to the methodologies to implement this, to work with change, and to also measure change. I think the the methodologies are becoming more solid. Um, there are several different things. In, in, uh, in the U.S., the, there's a lot of emphasis on who the leadership is and what, how, how high in the leadership change does this uh, change, does this change actually happen? So there is a lot of push towards new job titles like a chief digital officer or chief data officer, a chief comms officer in terms of uh, all comms. So the once that is established, it's becoming, you know, the conversation that I've heard in the last year and in, in this year, well, I should say 2013, 2014, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to be specific now, uh, is that there, this role is becoming a, a, a long-term or permanent role in more and more organizations, and they can drive that change. So they look to that leadership, which is very ironic because social collaboration is, <laughs> you know, there's a very anti-hierarchy, you know, theme going through the whole thing. You don't need that. Yeah. But org change requires leadership. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those things that I discussed with several people that we had this idea in the early days and go back like 2003, 2004, where companies would be changed from within and bottom up. I mean, that's the, the story that went, you know, these social collaboration tools will make organizations flatter and will, you know, will change the corporation from within and all these ideas, and now I have the, the the experience as well, but also the the feeling that it's much more managed. It's you know, there's a methodology, there's a plan, there is someone who's responsible for it, and who will follow the project all through for the next coming what three, four, five years. Is 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 that what you mean? Is that something that you see? Well, let's look at it in a historical perspective. Anytime you see an organization, whether you, you're talking about a, a company or you're talking about a nation, bottom-up change is very tumultuous. You know, there's, there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of reassembling back into this is what the new sense means. And in companies, you know, you don't see a revolution happening, right? You, you don't see the employees finally going and uh, suddenly going and saying, no, we're going to do everything different now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't. It's not the same kind of entity. You know, it's it's you're working for someone. So the bottom up perspective, it occurs, but it never occurs that push, you know, that that uh, tipping point where, you know, to the semblance of a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to go back to the um, systems that they have in place, which is the old models, which is you, you still have to have an owner, a leader of, of the practice. Um, they want to understand, you know, their view is predictability. You know, let's not let this run wild. Let's get some understanding of what's actually happening. And then it becomes more and more structured and you could swing too far towards, you know, structuring everything, trying to organize everything, trying to say, well, let's be social now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's that exercise of, of allowing it to be malleable and 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 you know to be able to change you know on on a regular basis but at the same time keep the course and 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 go the that direction that the organization wants to go right it's it's the 
is that equilibrium that we you really need. Yeah, I should I should point out that um, the need for change is there. I mean, there there's a reason why this uh, digital transformation is happening. Um, there is an MIT and and Capgemini study out there. Um, let me see if I remember the name. Uh, embracing digital technology. Now, what they looked at was um, how do companies which have already transformed into a digital entity, meaning that they have a communication system internally as well as externally. Uh, they interact in that way. It's a much more social process in how they do things uh, versus the ones who are just you know, piloting or trying it out versus the ones who are not doing anything at all, uh, who refuse to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's when they actually have a, a chart in that report, which shows revenue, profitability, market valuation, a much higher 9%, 26% profitability, uh, market valuation, 12% versus conservatives tend to have lower revenue. And this is data that they looked at uh, for years. This is MIT with uh, Capgemini uh, looking back at some of that. The material is also in a new book they call Leading Digital. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they point out there is what do you need to what what do you need to see this happen? So the top thing that comes out is the KPIs. Uh, it's not the structure itself, but how do you measure how this is changes happening? You know what's important. So defining the right KPIs is they consider the most important. Second one is changing the culture. And it's, it's uh, you know, more than, I would say about 65% is of companies say that that is uh, very significant and somewhat significant. So they want to see the change happen. They just don't know what pace they want to see that happen. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so. But one of the, the it's the, the, the research, and I'll, if you can send me the links, we'll put that on the, uh, on the page as well. Uh, okay. in the uh, podcast notes uh, for the for the listeners but um, you touched on two things in that in that um, research uh, one is the you know changing the culture which is a big huge topic it could go anywhere and the other one is is um, is looking at how or who's going to drive this and those are topics that in many discussions come back again and again in the way like KPIs, who's going to define KPIs? Do we have a model to define KPIs? Which KPIs? How are we going to measure? Very practical questions. I think that that in itself is is a very complex thing. And then the second part as well, where, you know, the organization or the culture of an organization, there it's always the discussion of the chicken and the egg. What comes first? You know, do we change the culture and then we are ready for social? Or do we, you know, by using social collaboration are going to change the culture? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there, there, are, there are different levels of KPI. So there is the one that drives the business, right? This is the one that uh, the executives are looking at. Has it, does it change the, does it improve our operations? You know, this is a, that's a quality as well as a uh, acceleration uh, statement. Mm-hmm. Does it improve the customer experience? Does it change the model of how we operate our business model? So let's say, you know, customer experience, um, does it, how consistent is our messages across all the channels we use? You know, this opens up new channels. 
the social channels externally, um, email you know, still exists, all those different ways of communicating. Are we saying the same thing? At least do we agree that we're saying the same idea, even if it's not the, literally the same words? So you can have the business level metric, you know, what is the consistency of the message? Uh, what is the impact of the message? versus the delivery metrics, you know, the operational metrics. Uh, how well are we doing over this channel versus this channel? Um, as well as, you know, how well does this tool work for us or this software, wh whatever? Um, how well do the people who are working in these positions, whether they are, you know, comms people or they're employees, you know, employee advocates, how well are they working? So all of that is different ways of looking at that, but that is one aspect you know, of just consistency of message and quality of message itself. You know, there are other ways of looking at it, which is how much are customers involved with us? You know, it's more of a loyalty, more of an in customer engagement view. Um, the same time, you can look at that same idea from the employee side, how much are employees engaged with our customers? Yeah, or, or with the organization itself as well. Definitely, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's the generic question of employee engagement in the organization. And then you add a purpose to it. Are employees helping customers? So they, they, they need to be engaged in the organization mm -hmm. so they can help customers. You know, that helps give them a reason rather than just say, you need to be engaged in the company, right? And then again, we, we know from, from different studies, I've seen recent studies coming out saying that we really have a, a big issue, at least in Europe, about engagement of employees. I mean, people go to work, but are they really engaged with the company? Do they understand, right. you know, the strategy, the objectives? I mean, on their level, I mean, it's not like, but but I, I see a lot of negative things coming out. So I, I don't, again, I, I have a, an, an issue with employee engagement as a definition of, you know, very enthusiastic employees working for the good of the company, which is all very nice. But uh, right. the reality, I think, and especially in Europe with the crisis that we have and all these things, uh, is, is probably a bit different. And this is where we start seeing, you know, how do people start engaging with the company come in playing? So, you know, this is where some of the, the elements of culture start becoming more evident. Um, so employees engage in things that when they it's not about necessarily about happiness, but something that drives them to produce. It could be an interest in uh, something that they're doing. Right. It could be, you know, interest in a, in a particular uh, skill, talent, hobby, you know, interest, a research topic. You know, that's that's what I describe as um, the passion aspect of culture. What are they passionate about? Mm hmm. Um, you know, these are things that, and there are other second level things of that, like how entrepreneurial are they? Are they going to, are they going to take that idea that they have and, and be innovative, you know, do build something new out of it? Uh, who do they work with and how rhythmic is that work? What is the, their flow of work? Um, there are other aspects of it is when you start looking at how well are they connected in the organization, Right. Is there a culture of I only work with the people on my team or I only work in my department um, versus I will work with anyone I need to across the organization? To solve a certain problem or to reach a certain objective. Yeah, that's right. th that's the whole difference in, in silo-based work or team-based work and then cross-silo and cross-team. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that when we talk about organizational culture, um, I mean – 
often when you use those words, I mean, not you, but when 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 we talk about culture, it it almost you almost have an image of a monolithical thing. Like there's one culture, there's one Coca-Cola culture, there's one IBM culture, there's one. Is is that something that you've seen, and how how would that interact? I mean, I, I know you have some thoughts on that. So, uh. yeah, so there is a number of different ways of looking at it. So, in my last talk that I did in uh, October uh, last year at HR Tech, I was describing organizational culture as one segment of the overall culture picture. So when we talk about organizational culture um, in the, let's say the formal definition, um, it talks about what are the values of the organization? Um, what are, how do people work? Uh, what, what do they consider risk? So, which is very different than something like generational culture. You know, there are some, they may have overlap, Right. How I view my work, how I like to work, where I like to work. There's a generational view of it because it's a cohort. Everyone kind of shares that idea. And then there's an organizational view of it. Well, we work this way versus mm -hmm. how your generation may work. Then there is a, a regional or national culture version of it. You know, I will uh, I will work with my team and I will work to, to <laughs> I will work long, long, extensive hours all day long, um, all week long. And at the end of the week, we will go out and have drinks with my boss. I mean, I'm actually talking about Japan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> versus work with a stranger across the world. Um, well, they are part of my company, but they are a different group, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> they are there. Basically, there are these themes which can be at odds with each other. So one segment, which is national culture versus the organizational culture, the organization says, well, this is the culture that we have. It just declares it. But that necess that may not actually be the reality across the company. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's local. Sometimes it's the people. Sometimes it's the uh, uh, what they work with. Sometimes it's how they're connected to other people, you know, who influences their ideas. Yeah. And, and in, in, in that context, I mean, running a or let's say managing a social collaboration project for employees across those different aspects of what we call organization culture is, is, is probably one of the most difficult projects to, to manage. I mean, we're talking about change management. You're touching at the way how people work uh, in the different ways how they conceive work as well. Um, do you think that it, those kind of projects needs a, need a special or a specific skill set for communications people, for change managers? Well, my attitude is a much more individual view of culture, you know, not necessarily down to every single person, but down to how people work in your region, in your office, maybe even within specific teams. So the, the thought there is it, it, what it does is multiplies work. So if you are working across a broad organization, the, you cannot necessarily reach everyone. The idea of broadcast messaging and broadcast comms, I, I don't think it's very effective anymore. Instead, what you do is you look at groups of people, teams of people, as in whether they're formal teams or they're shared community, and you work with them. You know, it becomes a number of relationships with many different groups of people. And that's 
that builds not just your credibility in, in comms, but also helps drive a stronger uh, message to each one of those groups. So yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, I think uh, what you're describing is definitely an approach that that goes back to the, how would I say, the uh, the, the, the general idea of all communications is local, uh, physically local, like close by, where people that you, you know, in your area. Uh, on the other hand, what we see is that we still, in many companies, still do this top-down mass communication uh, aspect with uh, weekly emails from the CEO or every or the monthly email of the CEO and and the town hall meetings and all these things which is to my idea still still very much the way that most internal communications people are working now not all of them and I've seen very creative approaches of very local uh, communications very regional communications which are really interesting case studies uh, but then again you you fall back on a, on a problem that we all have in communications, which is, you know, resources. Uh, most of the time, we don't have people on the ground everywhere. Right. Uh, and, and another thing I think which that implies is relying heavily on middle management. Um, and in internal communications, uh, we don't always have internal managers who have been trained in communication skills. There are so there. There are two things to that. I think there is always going to be a need for informational communications. You do that on a broadcast level, but when you're actually trying to um, encourage change, then you have to have a different level of you know that much more uh, hands-on um, approach I was describing. So you know the CEO can send a broadcast message to everyone, informing them of some st- status or some new. Uh, action or something that's happening but to actually drive that action to happen you have to take it one one step down into that that more tactile uh, approach there tactical approach there um now when it comes to middle management i think that's that's still possible and then uh, we know they don't have all the uh you know they may not have all the skills but i would actually loosen that definition rather than middle management and the, the way that I was describing groups, they could be anyone. They could be a formal, you know, team under a manager or a department, or they could be a group of people, you know, interested all in the same, um, you know, process or aspect of the, of the company itself, or even just interesting topic, a community uh, that, that is there. And when you look there, there isn't necessarily a single authoritative manager, you know, what you're looking at is leaders. Yeah. Sometimes they are leaders of informal groups. Sometimes um, they are you know, managers. Not all managers are leaders, for that matter, too. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to think about that. Um, and the leaders who naturally emerge have their own skill in communicating. They know their people. They know how they can communicate to them yeah. versus, you know, placed in that position. I've seen that happening in, in um, I've seen that happen in projects where, Depending on the phase where the project is in, the project manager switches. So, you you know, you maybe you have a phase of development. Well, the best guy who develops or the best girl who develops becomes then the lead of the project uh, team. And in the second phase where it's all about, I don't know, communications or marketing or selling, then again, it switches. You just put the right person in uh, at that moment for those kind of skills that you need in that phase of a project uh, in charge. Is, mm-hmm. is, is that is that something that, I mean, you were talking about a similarity here? 
Yeah, it, it's similar in, in a way, you know. Um, so there is a, a study by Jane McConnell, which is the Digital Workplace Trends. She's been doing this for 14, 15 years or so. Yeah, I think so. For a very long time. She's always yeah. been on the radar for me, at least. Yeah. And, and uh, there was one particular thing from there that always, you know, what drives change in the workplace? Again, think about it as change, not just information to mm-hmm. people. Um, and what has actually, until recently, it, it was always number one. Um, people are, will change and do something different when they see that behavior in their colleagues and their peers versus, you know, how their executive senior leaders behave versus how their line managers behave. You know, so the, the numbers here was, uh, 2014, it was 62% say that, um, you know, it's how other people, my colleagues, my peers change. That's what I adopt. Uh, not what my manager tells me or my executive tells me. Um, there was an interesting blip in, in 2014. That was the first time internal comms campaigns actually was higher. 65% people said that. It's uh, generally ranked number two. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's not a bad thing. You know, you still need that comms going out. Um, but the adoption, you know, th- that's more of an awareness versus adoption. That's one of the, the things that we always have to deal with, which is first they have to know about it. You know, that's awareness. Sure. And then they have to be encouraged to actually do it. And what actually convinces us to take the next step? And that's where internal comms need to, you know, need, needs to continue. I mean, what I have seen previously is that an internal communications campaign, rather, a rather large project would kick off and would have a high uh, level of, of, of regular communications, but then at a certain point it would drop, it would not be sustained, where mm-hmm. just at that moment, I don't think it needs to be that loud as in the beginning, but you need to sustain it so that you make it clear how people are changing, that you take those examples of you know, the guy in bookkeeping uh, and, and show that how he or she is, is changing with new t- his work or her work with new tools and with new ways of working, and and you share that across across the uh, the, the employee uh, set that is interested in that that recognizes itself in that, and then they would follow. We are a social we are social animals. We we do copy each other. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the example. I mean, that is even if they are not a direct colleague, that guy in bookkeeping is someone like me. I could be someone else in accounting, bookkeeping, somewhere else in the organization. I understand their role. So it becomes an encouragement. It's encouraging to see somebody else uh, doing that. That means I could do it Yeah. in my, you know, in my role somewhere else. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that people can relate to that. I mean, I think yeah. it's, it has a lot to do with uh, being able to relate to a situation of someone else, uh, which is probably, you know, in, in, in the same same function as you, or not, not exactly the same, but at least you can see what how technology, in this case, what we're talking about, or collaboration or collaborative uh, technology is changing the way that this person is working. And then you could go like, well, maybe, you know, I can try it out because it's very similar to what I do day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way you just described it a few moments ago was, this is a comms campaign going out, but the contents of the campaign is, hey, look how this person in bookkeeping is doing it. Yeah. So you're doing both, really. Mm-hmm. On on the on the larger scope of things, what have you um, you seen as as the main when you talk to companies and organizations? Do you see a difference within the US and Europe, for instance? 
I think so. I think the a lot of there's been a lot of uptake in the U.S. on the marketing side. So what we call social media marketing versus you know internal collaboration or used to call social business. Um, the media marketing part is really taking off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chief marketing officer tends tends to have um, you know strong budgets to do outside hiring, and that actually has gives them a lot of power. So they can hire contractors, they can hire you know buy tools, they can basically buy the skills that they don't have in the organization, um, and it is to the point that. Um, in some cases, they're saying marketing has more IT than IT itself, <laughs> yeah, and and more money than IT itself. You know, because IT is just a cost center. Marketing is is cost, but it is also bringing customers. So you know, it's a, a new purpose that they have there, right? Um, so a lot of the ideas of what a chief digital officer tends to come from the marketing and comms area. Um, at the same time, you know, it, it is, in my view, that's part of the organizational function, right? Mar- you know, the marketing comms is one function. A chief data or digital officer, they should have understanding of, you know, what the sales is very different. Um, <clears throat> the the research function, the operate, you know, the supply chain, all of those areas. It's such a large horizontal uh, issue that... They need expertise in a lot of areas. So in in Europe, we see, and then this is how I feel, it's much more driven by HR. Um, And, you know, a lot of the comms, uh, internal comms at least, tends to also fall under HR over there versus here in the U.S., comms tends to be under marketing. (laughs) So there's a slightly different uh, setup there as well, uh, which which creates different, uh, you know, uh, directions and directives, you know, of how they were going. Yeah, from from where I sit here in Brussels, I'm, you know, it's exactly how I see things as well. I mean, many organizations in Europe um, have internal comms falling under a uh, chief human resources officer, uh, and and the external side of social media communications or online communications falls under marketing. Uh, in some cases, not even under uh, a subdivision or or a division called public relations or what have you. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, the their motives are also very different. So in the U.S., it turns to be more towards revenue generation, uh, you know, encouraging employees and and advocating employees to be sort of the face for the company externally, uh, versus the classic idea of uh, you collaborating inside the organization to work with each other inside. You know. Yes, you can be collaborating outside as well, mm-hmm. um, but the first thing is know your who you're working with. You know that's going to drive a lot more value. So it's where does it drive value? Is it driving value because you have contacts outside the company, or is it driving value by strengthening your contacts and and your relationships and how you work inside? Mm. I think so. for uh, for European organi- and again, it's it's probably a generalization. It's it's just based on my experience and people I talk to, but. Uh, the two things you mentioned, like you know, how how can you? It's 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 much more uh, revenue driven. But in some cases, I think here uh, in Europe, it's much more like the employee has a role. And you know, if you're not in sales, in fact, you you're not client facing. So 
Why should you really care as long as you do your own job and sales will do the selling? Uh, it's very it's it's very difficult to find organizations where you have this idea that everyone is a potential representative of the organization. Like in public relations, we say that you know if you have good social media strategy, then you have you know you have so many PR people, then you have employees in the company. If if you manage to obtain that, it's 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 a it's a huge thing. But uh, I think a lot of uh, CEOs here would would go crazy if, if if I would you know just say that that would be an objective. Uh, yeah. They would have fear of losing control, and 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 organizations are still having this strange old function. I think at least that's my opinion of spokespeople. You know, one single person designated to speak on behalf of a whole organization, which is a totally crazy idea. I think in the days of social media, but still, it does exist today here in Europe. Yeah. Well, it, it still exists, but the the real point aside from uh, you know one person and the entire employees is what is the message that is getting out there and the biggest fear that they have is that they are they will present it in the wrong way right they, mm-hmm. they might say the wrong things or they may say let things out um, which, which you know these are all risk qualities yeah say yeah. it the wrong way uh, say the you know give out secrets or, or things that you're not supposed to talk to, uh, say something that locks the company into doing that or causes, uh, you know, a PR fiasco or something of the sort. And the, the, the real problem there is how well do you handle that risk? Um, and how comfortable are you with, uh, working with that risk? Um, in our experience, uh, in, in, I would say the U S but it happens in many places, um, companies who have taken that step and said, well, we're willing to accept the risk, um, by letting our employees do this, we, we can reach more people, but we're also a lot more authentic in how we talk rather than a very massaged, limited conversation that we have through fixed chains. So the ones who think that the fixed messages work aren't necessarily paying enough attention to how customers view the world. Mm-hmm. And part of the thing is that the network is out there. The internet is out there. Everyone's talking to each other. It's happening They're They're getting the, uh, give me the details beyond the, just the official massage line. It's happening already. The belief that you can tell them one thing and they will believe it, it's un- unbased. You know, that's you're keeping a risk low, but you're also deluding yourself to some degree. Um, you know, wh- whether that's accepted or not, that, that you know, that just takes some bit of practice. And all I can say is that you should try it, right? Try it for a little bit, you know, move. Take on that risk a little bit at a time. Yeah, and it's it's an it's a it's a controlled risk in a certain way. If you do a correct approach, if you train people, if you educate people, if you have social media guidelines, I mean, all these things. Then that is all very well known now. I mean, but still, I meet organizations they don't have social media guidelines. They and they they're bunkering and hunkering down because it's too dangerous and all these things. On the other side, to come back to the internal side, I, that made me think of a, a conference I spoke at last year. It was mainly HR managers. And I asked them who, and I think it were about 100 HR managers, and I said, 
those people who within their organization have the word innovation in either the mission statement, the name, whatever the company stands for, please show me some hands. And I think 90% of them showed, you know, had their hands up. Uh, which means they were all communicating externally, at least, uh, and, and internally probably as well, about innovation, that they were an innovative company and looking for innovation. Um, my second question was, who's closing down the internet access for their employees? And almost all of the hands stayed up, which is a contradiction. How can you stand again? It's like I am saying to the outside world that we are an innovative company, but we don't even trust our own employees with an invention that is, what, 25 years old, 30 years old now? And, and I mean, even if they are not communicating, I cannot see how you can do any kind of research. You know, you want to know what's going on now. I'm not talking about, you know, academic research or anything like that. Just understanding customers, understanding yourself, understanding your market. You know, salespeople need the Internet. Right. Marketing, marketing people need the Internet. Product development, pretty much every single role I can think of needs the information that's out there. Um, and once they start reading that, that's when they say, well, you know, I think I have something to say here which might help. You know, they can help correct uh, some of the, the thinking out there about your company. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, it is closing down the Internet. Um, I think the biggest concern there, which is unsubstantiated, is that they're going to be wasting their time doing other stuff, which is not work related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's what I'm that's what I'm telling people, yeah. uh, you know, IT managers or or even CEOs when they you know when they talk about that. I said that you know your employees do not need your network to go on the network. If they want to waste time, they will waste time. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it's 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 a very strange idea to think that when you're closing down the Internet, you know, they will they will not do anything else. I mean, it's it's a, it's a crazy idea. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the um, you know, my 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 philosophy there is always if you're going to treat your employees like kids, they're going to act like kids. Yeah. You're just encouraging the thing they're trying to stop. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Ron, what, what do you see as. We're 2015 now, so what we 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 we've been talking social collaboration in one way or the other since, oh, probably uh, ten years, more than ten years now. What what do you see happening in 2015? If you had the, you would have a a glass uh, a glass bowl to look into. What what yeah. you see as as main things that could possibly happen in 2015 in the area of mainly internal social collaboration. Well, I think some of the. The tools are becoming ubiquitous. You know, it's it's they're they're everywhere there. Um, what's happening this year is the names are changing. So this is something that we discussed most of last year. So it's, hey, did social business disappear and go away? Um, so one easy thing to to understand is that you know the name is changing to what they call digital. You know, the digital company meaning that more things across the organization. It's, it's exactly the same thing. We, in some ways, we call it social business processes, right? The processes are changing to be more inclusive of information, uh, group context, you know, who provided reputation, expertise, all of, all of that information. And then now they just call it digital because it's a, uh, it's a much more generic, neutral term. Um, so that's one thing that's becoming the, in coming to prominence in 2015. 
Um, the other part of it is also, I think the this is more on the economic front, which is, um, you know, I wrote about this recently, and they were talking about 2020 and 2030. Uh, so 2020, the the talent shortage that's coming, and that's building up between now and then. This is actually population dynamics. Uh, there's almost nothing you can do about this. The population in some countries are aging, so the workforce is shrinking. Um, you know, there's no new people coming in to fill in as much as the old people uh, who are retiring. Um, and this is happening everywhere in the top 25 economies of the world. So basically it says, if you're thinking you can just hire people, that's not going to be the case. There's, there's no place to get them from. Everyone's competing for the same people. So the talent imperative, you know, getting the right skills and talent um, it's going to be more and more uh, a bigger and bigger problem going on. So to start now, now is when we are starting to think about what does expertise really mean? You know, um, if you are on the recruiting side, you know, not in the internal HR, the recruiting side, then who you're looking for. Now, HR internally should take the same thing. What are the skills that you really know people have in your organization? Not their job roles or job titles. But do you really understand what skills that they have, how long they've done it, um, and how it's being used? Now, they may really have had a skill in something, and they're not being used anymore in that respect. Um, from the employee motivation perspective, it becomes, do they like doing what they're doing now? If they have this other skill, do they want to use that, or is that something they left behind? Um, how do we encourage people to apply more of their skills in different ways? Because they will use idle time if they're really motivated to do things. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's an important one, the uh, the skill set and uh, companies not knowing, in fact, what their employees have as kind of skills. As you correctly said, instead of titles on a business card, which most of the time don't really mean a lot of things. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Okay, Ron. Well, um, thanks for this discussion. Any books coming up? <laughs> no, um, this year I'm, I'm speaking a, a number of times. Um, in uh, February, I will be in Paris at the Enterprise 2.0 Summit. Yeah, I'll try to be there. Uh, in March, I'll be in London for uh, HR Tech. Their first time they're doing it in London. Okay. Um, and I'll be writing more. Uh, last year is the first year. Um, I, I, so I write for Forbes. Um, and last year I broke 100,000 readers. Wow. And, like 200,000 read, you know, page views, so whichever, 100,000 readers uh, in December. Great. In, in a single year. Um, so that was a good thing. You know, this year means I got to double that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got a milestone <laughs> now. You've got an objective to, uh, to break. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Great stuff. Okay, well, I hope we'll uh, meet up in Paris and uh, have some great discussions. And I don't know if you saw it or you heard it, but we have not one single time in this discussion about social collaboration, spoken about Generation Y. And I'm very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thank you very much for this. All right. Thank you, Philippe. So there you go, the latest update about Enterprise 2.0 and corporate culture. It's always a pleasure to talk with uh, Ron about these topics. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you did, please give us some feedback through um, the website, Wag the Dog FM. You can always leave an audio message, um, a question that you have, feedback. 
negative or positive, don't hesitate, just give it. I really would like uh, to have this as an uh, interactive uh, podcast. And also, if you like the show, then don't forget to um, give us a thumbs up on iTunes or on Stitcher uh, or whatever platform, in fact, you're using uh, to listen to this podcast. Good. I hope I'll see you next week uh, with a new show. And till then, do the right thing. Bye-bye. Keep the peace.